in this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast, you'll be listening in to my in-service presentation, my most recent one at my current clinical that I'm wrapping up at the hospital on myofascial cupping in physical therapy. So specifically cupping therapy, you've probably seen this before. It was kind of trendy with Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer. He had the cupping marks all over him uh, the one year. So we're going to be talking about what cupping is, how cupping works, who should use cupping, who shouldn't use cupping, some of the research on cupping, This should be really interesting. I'm really excited to be presenting on this. This episode and all of our episodes are brought to you by CTM Band. You can click the link below to head over to their website, check out their stuff. Highly recommend their recovery products. You can also use the coupon code BRAWN10, B-R-A-W-N-1-0, to get 10% off at checkout. And now a quick word from one of our other sponsors before we get to the show. All right, thank you all for joining in today. I'm going to be talking about myofascial cupping, so cupping therapy. For those listening in on the podcast, this is going to be released sometime in August. This should be a couple weeks after I finish this presentation, so really excited to bring this to you. So first off, what should you look for in cupping? Before we even talk about what cupping is, how it works... I just want to bring up a couple pictures. For those listening in, you can probably Google these. Uh, They were kind of the first ones to come up. So when we do cupping, we expect a couple marks, right? You know, we often think of these as kind of bruising marks, some of that mild redness, uh, tissue discoloration, a few marks, right? That's okay. What we don't want is we don't want dark purple marks all over the place. We don't want to be doing that dark, deep, high pressure, high t- uh, pull cupping therapy every single day, day in and day out for weeks on end. We don't want to cover someone's entire body in cupping uh, devices. So we often see this done right in athletes, right? They'll cover their entire back with like 30 or 40 cupping marks. I'm telling you right now, that's too much. We'll talk about this more when we get into it, but the cups actually need a little bit of separation between each of them because when you add that suction force and pressure, it's going to pull and take up some of that surrounding tissue. So a little bit of space between cups is actually necessary in order to get the appropriate response. You also have to remember that we're kind of causing a little bit of an inflammatory response with cupping. And anything in excess is bad. So a little bit of inflammation can help promote healing, right? Inflammation is necessary for the healing process. However, too much inflammation, as we know, bad thing. So we're going to start by talking about what cupping is, how it works. We're going to review indications. So when should we do cupping? When should we not do cupping? Apply it. Who can do cupping? Who can't do cupping? Talk about some research. And then for those who are here with me today, we'll be practicing with the cups and I'll be working with you to try and get the technique right. We'll review cupping massage, dynamic cupping, different things of that sort. So first off, what is myofascial cupping? So instead of giving you one definition, I'm just going to talk about some of the different components of myofascial cupping. So 
Cupping is a soft tissue targeted therapy. So we are putting the cups on the skin and targeting various tissues underneath. So subcutaneous tissues, fascia layers, muscle. This usually involves the usage of plastic or silicon cups, which pull on these underlying tissues. It pulls on fluids, blood, and creates kind of a vertical stretch, vertical separation. That pressure that we get is applied via a vacuum pump or heat. Uh, so heat is more of the traditional Chinese medicine model. There's nothing wrong with it. However, I found for my own clinical practice that the vacuum is much easier to control and learn and use. Uh, there's just a little plastic thing. I'll show it to you in a bit here. You pull the lever and it creates a vacuum suction kind of effect. So it's quick, it's easy, you can adjust it a lot more than you can with heat. Cupping is safe, cupping is effective. I've used it a lot in the past. One of my favorite patients, I hope he ends up listening uh, to this when I posted on the podcast, uh, came in after rolling his Jeep. Uh, he was a Air Force individual with some whiplash. And he took to the cupping right away. It made a very positive impact on his symptoms, really loosened, it up, loosened him up. Very effective tool. With that, there's different types of cupping. So you can take static cups and put them on a static body. That means the cups are not moving and the person is not moving. You can also do dynamic cups on a static body. This is what I like to call cupping massage. This is where I'm going to move the cups around on someone who isn't moving. And last, you can do static cups on a dynamic body. So this is where I put the cups on and then incorporate some type of stretching or mobility intervention. This is by far the most aggressive treatment option. However, it is also the most effective treatment option. So I usually try and push people to get into that if they can. So addressing the mechanism for cupping. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Chinese model, and then I'm going to talk about Western medicine model. Uh, this content and information comes right from Spinal Manipulation Institute, one of my preferred sources for manual therapy uh, kind of info and research. So the Chinese medicine model says that cupping addresses blocked key, which is considered the root of all disease, right? The energy of life. So Chinese medicine says this helps to clear that up. Uh, there's also a form of cupping called wet cupping where you combine the vacuum pull and stretch with controlled medicinal bleeding. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a physical therapist, obviously we're not going to be doing wet cupping. We fall into more what we call the dry cupping where there's no blood, no bleeding. Uh, however, that traditional Chinese model does use that. I will admit that I have experimented with wet cupping before myself. I have never done it on anyone else, and I have noted good results from it. However, like all things, it has to be right patient, right time, and it has to be done by the right person. If you're a physical therapist, last I checked, it's not within our scope of practice to be doing this, so therefore we're not going to do it. So if someone's interested in doing that, Make sure they clear it with their doctor first and always make sure they're doing it with someone who is uh, able to provide that kind of intervention. Western medicine, which is where we fall into here in the uh, United States, 
we basically look at cupping as some sort of influence on soft tissue abnormalities through that negative pressure vertical pull and stretch, right? So we'll put it on trigger points. We'll put it in tight regions of tissue. Not only are we going to get that stretch response, but we're also going to increase blood flow and circulation to that area, right? We talked earlier, we have a vertical pull. We have a pressure pull on the fluids and underlying tissues to that area. There's also some significant evidence that suggests cupping works via the gate control theory for pain. Basically, this means that myofascial cupping will stimulate A-beta nerve fibers over the uh, area that you have the cups. The A-beta nerve fibers, when stimulated, will inhibit A-delta and C-fibers, which are two examples of fibers that transmit pain. So by cutting the transmission of pain, people will experience reduced pain and improved function, right? Moving differently in pain. With that too, uh, just kind of taking from uh, Tham uh, et al., just direct quote here, loose connective tissues, including the aponeurotic layer and epimysium, undergo mechanical stress. The overall temperature of tissue increases, reducing the viscosity of hyaluronic acid polymers, thereby decreasing the adhesive properties of the tissue. This, in turn, improves fascial gliding, improves mechanotransduction, collagen synthesis, and fibroblast proliferation. So that research article was talking about some of the effects of myofascial cupping. So let's kind of review a couple key points from that. We're loosening connective tissue layers, aka we're increasing our tissue extensibility, our mobility. Overall temperature of the tissue increases, so we're providing a warm-up effect. That's something that tends to be good. Warm tissues move better. We're increasing blood flow to that area. We're reducing viscosity of polymers. Therefore, we're making things easier to flow. Uh, it said reducing the uh, adhesive properties of that tissue. Therefore, it's less likely to stick together. Uh, so for those listening or those who have ever done dry needling, you know what I mean by adhesive properties. When you stick a needle in to a muscle or an uh, area of fascia, like the thoracolumbar fascia, thoracolumbar fascia specifically, you hit that knot, you hit that kind of gnarled, tangled up tissue. You know what we mean by adhesiveness of the tissue. Uh, for those who haven't experienced that, basically things just kind of get tangled up and stuck. And this is going to unstuck them. And all of these things improve your body's ability to move, your ability to recover, and your ability to just do things in general. With that, a little bit more of a medical approach to cupping, and this comes from the medical perspective of cupping therapy, Abdullah et al., 2018. Looking at cupping therapy effects, we already talked about the gate control theory and how it reduces pain and um, has the, it also works via another theory that we call the reflex zone theory, which can help reduce pain. We also see a little bit of immunomodulation effects. So there is a theory, I'm going to say this again, a theory that cupping therapy helps to kind of cause some positive adaptations and changes within the immune system. That's good. We like to hear that. There's also the blood detoxification theory, which we talked about earlier with wet cupping. I have not seen much, if any, research that applies blood detox 
blood detoxification to dry cupping. Uh, I have seen a couple thoughts and schools of thoughts on it. And basically they say that by pulling uh, different toxins to the more superficial areas, it's easier for the body to clear it out. And they also say by increasing circulation to that area, it's easier for your body to clear out stuff that shouldn't be there. And that would tie right into the immune theory as well. Um, again, these are theories. And then we also talked about the anti-inflammatory effects that come with the blood circulation before. Uh, that kind of ties in a little bit with nitric oxide. Indications for cupping. So number one. If someone is in pain, if someone has movement dysfunctions and movement impairments that can cause their pain, I like to go with cupping. So whether it's chronic pain, myofascial pain, pain disorders, whiplash, like I talked about before, I like to use cupping here. It's a very nice manual therapy focused intervention. It does more, in my opinion, than a TENS unit or an IFC or ultrasound or that sort of thing. With that, you could potentially pair TENS unit with cupping. They have e-stim cupping units out there. They exist. I am kind of less in favor of that. I think one versus the other is good. But if you need to do a combination, combinations do exist. Cupping can also be used, as we've talked about already, to enhance mobility, reduce tissue tightness, promote blood flow, and improve healing address postural imbalances and abnormalities, uh, and really the sky's the limit with this stuff, right? If you can think of a use for it, then you can use it for that. However, there are always some contraindications. So things you should keep in mind with cupping. Even though it is a safe and easy intervention to do, it's relatively easy to pick up and learn, and it is, for the most part, unregulated. So if you are a physical therapist with a valid license, you can do cupping therapy. But you should always get patient consent for treatment. Explain to them, hey, you know, here's what it's going to feel like. Here's what we expect to happen. Here's what's going to happen. So, you know, explain the marks to them that might kind of stick around for a couple days. You know, not the kind of thing you want to do on someone's neck right before they go to a wedding or something like that, for example. Make sure the patient is in control and guiding the treatment. Let them know that they can stop the treatment whenever. And if they say, hey, we got to stop, pull the cups off. Don't wait around, right? So those contraindications. I never do cupping uh, when someone is in active infection state or has cancer, active cancer infection. Reason why is, well... Let's think about this for about two seconds. If someone has cancer, if someone has infection, then do we really want to increase blood flow to that area? I don't think so. Next part, burns, other abnormalities on the skin, right? So if someone comes in and they have a second or third degree burn, my first instinct is not going to be to put cups over top of it, right? Because as we talked about earlier, it's going to increase some of that inflammatory response. Which again, a little bit of that is good. It's essential for healing. But we don't want to overdo it. Pregnancy. There's not a whole lot of studies in uh, people with pregnant, who are in a pregnant state. Women who are pregnant. And as such, it's better to just avoid it. You don't know what it can do. So let's just not play around with it.
connective tissue disorders. Um, so if someone has a disorder like EDS that causes hypermobility and weakness of connective tissues, doing something like cupping, which will increase mobility of those tissues, is probably not a good idea. Just plain and simple, kind of common sense there. DVT, obviously if someone has an active blood clot, putting a cup directly over top of it is not something that's going to be beneficial for their health. Um, I know some of this stuff is kind of ridiculous, and I know some of you are kind of laughing here uh, as I'm going over some of this stuff, but, you know, it has happened before. People have done it, so uh, directly over top of a disc herniation. So when we get into that hands-on component, I'll show how I kind of go about doing cupping over the spine. I usually go just off of the lumbar transverse processes and lateral to the uh, thoracic transverse processes as well. Uh, so if someone has a herniated disc, obviously I don't want to be directly over top of the spine. We know disc herniations tend to be in a posterior, posterior lateral fashion. So putting something that's going to exert pressure, suction on that, probably not a good idea. Uh, and the last, one of my big ones is perf uh, performing cupping over existing petechiae. So if someone has those really deep, dense, discolored marks from cupping, don't do it again the next day, right? Give it a couple days, let it heal, let the inflammation knock down. All of that comes right back from that Spinal Manipulation Institute I talked about before. Application of cupping, so stuff I've found very beneficial. For pain, I put cupping uh, the cups directly over top of the site of pain, as close as I can get, or I'll border the pain. So for PTs, this is similar to what I'd set up for TENS or IFC, right? TENS directly over top, IFC box around it. For circulation and healing, I am trying to get as many cups as possible over the area I'm targeting. Now with that said, as I talked about earlier, that doesn't mean I'm going to stick two boxes of cups on someone's back and light them up, right? I want a very specific area. So I might use, I might only be able to get two or three cups in there. I might only get three or four cups in there. I have to be okay with that. I want to promote blood flow to that region. And keep in mind, depending on how many cups you put on there, you can alter your treatment time based on that. And likewise, if you're pairing... Uh, cupping with movement, so static cups and dynamic body, obviously movement enhances blood flow as well. So keep that in mind when you're going over these factors as well, and we'll talk about that more shortly. For soft tissue mobilization, I like to put the, the uh, cups directly over top of the muscle belly, and I try to get the entire muscle belly if possible. So for example, if I'm looking to do lengthening of the gastroxoleus, so kind of that Achilles tricep surrey complex, or hamstrings, I'm going to try and trace that muscle belly, get three or four cups on that. Uh, and as I talked about earlier, if I'm going after fascia like thoracolumbar, thoracolumbar fascia, I'm going to go just off of the transverse process of the lumbar spine. So it's a little bit lateral, but remember when I start pulling on that vacuum to get that suction force, it's going to take up some of that surrounding tissue. So you'll see when I put a cup on and start kind of pulling on that tissue, it takes up some of that surrounding stuff. 
for a documentation standpoint, this is one area that if you're on the podcasting or not a PT major, PT student, active PT, then I apologize. You can probably skip ahead about a minute here. I document cupping under manual therapy, specifically soft tissue mobilization. I document it very specific. I include the name of the intervention, the region, the reason that I did it, the cups that I used, spacing, total treatment time, if it was static or dynamic cupping, and I always document that I got patient consent. So for example, I could say myofascial cupping to patient's lower back for increasing range of motion and modulating pain. Six large-sized cups used, three on each side, two finger widths lateral to L5 transverse process, working up to uh, the transverse process at T10, three finger widths between each cup vertically. 10 minutes, 10 minutes uh, static cups on dynamic body with cat-cow and thread-the-needle stretches. Intervention performed via patient consent. Now, I know that sounds like a lot when I read it off, but I'm telling you right now, you'll type it once or twice, and then you'll, for the most part, copy and paste it, right? If this is an intervention that works, it's not something that you have to go and reimagine, right? Don't try and reinvent the wheel. If you know it works, then stick to what works. Don't try and get too fancy with it. I think a lot of people uh, get lost in that. So some of that research that I wanted to bring up. So I talked already at length about different things coming right from the Spinal Manipulation Institute. I've also attached in this email that I sent to all of you who are in attendance today uh, the myofascial cupping manual from the Australian College of Soft Tissue Therapy. Uh, For other recommended reading, I picked out three randomized controlled trials. So the first one is uh, NASB et al. Uh, This is from 2020. It was a randomized controlled trial looking at dry cupping for chronic neck pain. And the results showed significant improvements in neck disability index, pain threshold, and overall range of motion following dry cupping intervention. Uh, Teut et al., T-E-U-T et al., there's two studies I took from him. First one is 2018, randomized controlled trial on dry cupping versus pulsatile cupping. And they noted no significant outcome differences after four weeks or 12 weeks. So acute phase, a chronic phase. Basically, cupping works. It doesn't matter if you do dry cupping or pulsatile cupping. And other study by Teu, uh, again, another RCT, pulsatile dry cupping for knee osteoarthritis. So if you're in a outpatient orthopedic or sports clinic, you've probably seen some older patients with knee osteoarthritis. If you're listening to this on the podcast and you're a doctor, an MD, physician's assistant, uh, nurse, anyone in that health medical field, you've probably seen people with knee osteoarthritis, right? People get arthritis, people age. Maybe those people are even your parents, right? Well, this uh, randomized controlled trial found significantly better outcomes in self-reported pain measures and various outcome measure scores, such as the WOMAC, which is a specific outcome measure for patients with arthritis, for those who used pulsatile dry cupping for NeoA uh, when it was compared to the control group. So in short, cupping is effective. Uh, Before I go back to different parameters, I want to address one of the big debates on cupping. So I said before, those marks They're similar to bruises, right? But they're not actually bruises. 
by definition, a bruise is caused by an impact trauma that causes breakage of capillaries and a reactionary rush of fluid to that damaged location from the tissue injury. We know that cupping does not have a trauma component. There is no impact. So there's a lot of theories about what that discoloration means. Uh, the Western medicine theory, or I'm sorry, the... Um, the Chinese medicine theory believes that the cupping color correlates to the amount of toxins and unwanted waste that's built up in that region. So kind of like stagnant fluid, inflammatory cytokines, cupping would essentially pull those to the surface, which causes that tissue discoloration. And that would explain why people respond differently, right? Some people, you'll put the cups on, and they'll have very light marks, and others would have very dark marks. So uh, in more of the kind of American approach, we believe that the mark uh, darkness correlates to how tight the tissue is. So certain people have tighter tissues in certain areas, and the tighter it is, the sharper the mark is going to be. Uh, these are largely theories. So with that said, take that all with a grain of salt and be open to hearing other thoughts on that because there's a lot of different schools of thought out there about cupping, right? It's something that's been around for a long time and we know a lot about it. However, it's still kind of something that's being caught up to in the research. And there are many reasons for that, but I'm not going to get into them uh, today. Before we go and play, just talking about parameters real quick. These are very variable. That's a terrible way to put it, but it's the truth. So when it comes to cupping, you really have to play around with it. Sometimes you'll find people respond well in five to 10 minutes. Sometimes people need 15 and sometimes people just need three minutes, right? So you need to play around on cupping. See what works best for your patients. They're all going to respond very differently. As I said, I like static cups on dynamic body the best, incorporating movement with it. Anytime you can incorporate movement with something, I find it is significantly better, right? Uh, Brian Mulligan, a big mobilization with movement guy, right? You can say he made most of his career on that concept. He is big on it, and it, it works. It's very effective. So with that in mind, pairing a soft tissue targeted therapy with movement, highly effective. I usually do two to three stretches with it, about 20 to 30 total repetitions through that dynamic flow. Very effective, very good tool. But again, as always, the patient needs to be able to tolerate the treatment. If you're doing just static, as we talked about five to 10 minutes, obviously you need to make sure you're keeping that eight minute rule in mind. Uh, we don't do fraudulent billing, period. Don't do it. Uh, also with that too, if we're doing dynamic cups on static body, so cupping massage, how long I do it might correlate to the amount of area I'm covering. So if I'm going to do a hamstring, I can probably do a hamstring in a couple minutes and cover the whole area, right? It doesn't take too long. If I'm going to do myofascial uh, dynamic cupping, cupping massage on someone's back and I need to cover the whole thing and I just want some light pressure, might be there a little bit longer. Last thing before I forget, I forgot to mention it earlier and I don't want to forget it. 
I like to use a medium with cupping. Put down some lotion, put down some massage cream, something to kind of help that cup stick and adhere better to the skin. It'll also make that cupping massage significantly easier when you're kind of pulling and gliding across the skin. With that, that's going to do it for this in-service. Uh, I'm going to stop here and we'll end the podcast episode here too. This will be out in a few weeks. And for those who are with me right now, we're going to go over and do a little bit of hands-on component, some hands-on practice with the cups, get a feel for it, go from there. So for those on the podcast, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. I hope this brought you some insight and knowledge on what cupping therapy is, who can use it, who it shouldn't be used for, and how to use it. 